morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, which can be found on page 985 in your Black Pew Bibles. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All right. Good morning again. And um, if I didn't say so, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's really, really good to see all your faces. I'm really glad. I'm really glad to be up here, and I'm honored, honored to bring God's word to us today. And we've, we've been, if you're just joining us or if you've been with us for a while, we're preaching through the book of Colossians, and we've been doing that since April. We've taken some breaks along the way, but for the most part, as a church, we've been really kind of soaking in this letter since the spring. We've been turning over the diamond of God's word in Colossians and looking at it from angle after angle after angle after angle, starting or staring at it, sorry, staring at it and seeing it shine light. And that means shining light on our sin. It means revealing our weaknesses. And it means exposing our own immaturities. And now as we land the plane, both this week and next, it's important to me that we hear what was important to the apostle as he ended the body of his letter to the church. In many ways, these last few sentences are marching orders for the readers of this book. So <clears throat> we can see how Paul has talked about the gospel. He told us that at one time we were far away from God and that we were alienated from Christ. He proclaimed to us the absolute preeminence of Jesus Christ, both before or, or before and after and during everything. Everything. He's talked about what it looks like to move toward maturity and to move toward what it looks like to be complete in Christ as a believer. He's talked about circumcision and the core heart circumcision of our flesh. He's talked about Christ's victory over all the forces of evil and darkness. He's talked about being grateful people. And he's talked about living lives that aim to please Christ alone. Alone. He's told us to walk in Christ so that we can be established in the faith. He's told us to be rooted people and sturdy people who are built up in Christ. He said not to let others judge us. Don't let others call penalties on you or disqualify you. Don't let others pressure you with worldly ideas or worldly philosophies. And then he's reminded us again to abound in thanksgiving. He's talked about the resurrection and he's talked about how once all of us, all of us were dead, just dead, not mostly dead, not almost dead, all the way dead. 
He talked about how we were raised from the dead when Christ was raised from the dead. And now our real life is hidden with Christ in God. And he told us that since there's this dead us, to put off dead things, dead behaviors that belong to that dead person and put on new things, new behaviors that belong to Christ. He told us to seek the things that are above and not the things that are on the earth, to set our minds, to, to place, to arrange, to, to proactively put our minds onto the things of God. He said to put to death sin. And when he said that, he didn't say put to death sin in general. He's not ambiguous about this. He says, kill sexual immorality. Kill impurity and passion and evil desire. Kill coveting. He said, put away anger. Put away wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. And don't lie to one another. Don't lie to one another. Instead, put on compassionate hearts. Wear kindness like a cloak, suit up in humility. Put on a coat of meekness and patience and bear with one another and forgive the person that wrongs you. So there are all these virtues and so all these virtues can ring out with this kind of perfect song put on love that binds them all together in perfect harmony. And then he said, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then the apostle has said to us, sing about it. Sing about what God's done. Sing about the things that are above. Sing about what God is like. Sing about what Christ has done. Sing about his perfect attributes. Sing about his love. Sing about his preeminence. Sing about his goodness. Sing about his glory. Sing about his compassion. Sing about his humility. Sing about his grace and his mercy and his resurrection and his incarnation. Sing. Sing. And now he's wrapping up his letter and he does this with some last minute instructions about our behaviors. He's gotten to the end of the meeting, so to speak, and now he's saying, here are some best next steps. And if you're wondering, how do, how do I do that? He gives you and me these action items as clear marching orders. So would you all join me? Would you all join me and pray with me as I pray before we move forward? Heavenly Father, we're approaching you this morning as children. Heavenly Father, we're, we're approaching you this morning and we are doing what the text says right now. We're devoting ourselves to pray because the truth is, is that only you, only you can make these things happen in our hearts. Only you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through your grace and your mercy and kindness, can bring about change and transformation. Only you can make us care about these things in such a way that we become devoted to prayer. So I'm begging you, I'm tugging on your shirt just the, way, the same way that my kids tug on my shirt and you love that. You love it when we come to you as your children. Spirit of the living God, would you convict us 
Would you comfort us? Would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you grab a hold of us? Would we be arrested, arrested this morning, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk through four movements from this text this morning. And really, they can be summarized super simply like this. The four movements are pray, pray, walk, and talk. Pray, pray, walk, and talk. Number one, devote yourself to steadfast prayer with alertness and thanksgiving. Devote yourself to prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Be constant. Be devout. Be committed. Be faithful to pray. The word here is devoted. Be devoted to prayer. That means committed and constant and consistent. And I want to read some of the other places where this word is used. This word devoted is used in the New Testament regarding prayer in order to give us a better kind of three-dimensional picture of what Paul's getting at. In Acts 1.14, you see all the apostles with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. In Acts 2.42, referencing the early church, they were all devoting themselves to the apostle teaching, apostles' teachings and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. In Acts 6.4, the apostles say, hey, you all help with this so that we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In Romans 12, 12, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant, be constant in prayer. In Ephesians 6, 18, it says that we are to be praying at all times, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then we have these verses in Colossians, and together these verses make up the, the only six times in the, in the New Testament where this word group, to be devoted, is used with regard to prayer. In a later point, I'm going to encourage us about what prayer is for, but this first point is simply to name some elements of the posture or the attitude with which you should pray. It says, devote yourself, devote yourself to steadfast prayer and do it in a way that's both being watchful and do it in a way that is being thankful. Be watchful in prayer. Be sober-minded with prayer. This verse is saying to us this morning, right now, pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on. Notice, be alert. When you pray, pray with thoughtful understanding that is praying with close attention. Pray in a way that's watchful. And if you're like me, when you come to a verse like this in the scriptures, it's giving instructions about how to pray that is, uh, pray in a way that is watchful. It makes me want to ask a question of, hey, what's the opposite of, wa of watchful? What am I doing when I'm, when I'm missing this? What am I doing when I'm not paying attention to what the scriptures say right here? Watchful is a word that's all over the Bible, but we don't use it much today. But if you want to think about the opposite of the word watchful, you can think about being inattentive. You can think about being careless. You can think about being distracted and preoccupied. We need to be devoted to prayer and we need to be on guard not to be careless with our prayers. 
We don't want to be aimless in our prayers. So pay attention. Care about what's going on. Care about what's going on in your home. Care about what's going on with your kids. Care about what's going on in your church. Care about what's going on in your school. And devote yourself to prayer about those things. And don't settle for showing that you care about things in your life by being worried about them or by being full of anxiety about them. Don't settle for showing that you care about your kids by being worried about their future. The scripture tells us, tells us to be anxious for nothing. And how do we do that? We do that with prayer and supplication, making our requests known to God. So pay attention and then plod in prayer. Pay attention and then petition the only person in your life that can do anything about it. Pay attention and pray and know by faith that God doesn't give you rocks when you ask for bread. He doesn't give you snakes when you ask for fish. Not even, not even when you're sure that that's exactly what he's doing. I remember in my life, the first uh, miscarriage that me and my wife went through. I was at work on that day and I got a text from a friend about my wife. And this friend just said that I needed to go home and I needed to go home, all caps, now. So I rushed home and I found her and she was all hunched over on the couch and crumpled up like somebody who was completely crushed. Her heart was broken and she was devastated and you could see in her whole body how broken she was. And I tried to console her and comfort her and there was little, little I could do. But the next day, life went on as normal and I went back to work and a friend of mine tried to console me. You see, I was sharing about what was going on inside my heart during this tragedy with him. And eventually, as we chopped it up together, I was able to confess to him that the attitude in my soul was pretty dark in that moment. My attitude was something like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew something like this would happen. I knew this was too good to be true. My attitude toward God in that moment was, hey God, I asked for a fish and you gave me a snake and that snake bites. And even at this moment, man, I'm so convicted for holding that kind of angry and entitled attitude against my heavenly father. You see, God, God's not a fairy in the sky that gives us everything we think we want then he's not some kind of karma that promises to pay us back for the good things that we do. And he's not a vending machine that cranks out all of our wishes, but he is something better. He is a father. He's a father. He's the kind of father that does good things even when it hurts, even when they hurt a lot. And even when we don't want them. So be watchful in prayer and be thankful in prayer. Paul opened his letter with gratitude and he preached gratitude throughout Colossians. And here he ends by exhorting us again to thanksgiving. 
I want to remind us of a reality that I hope stirs thanksgiving in us, in us with regards to prayer. It's a reality that we're prone to forget, but our, our prayers never evaporate into the atmosphere. When you pray, when you pray every time something's happening, Something's happening. God's doing something in you and God's doing something for you and God's doing something through you and he's accomplishing all of his purposes in that moment. Always, always. When you pray, let me tell you what's not happening. God's not hearing your prayers and thinking, I don't have enough time to get to that one. He doesn't look at his phone and go, ugh. I'm going to let that ring and go to voicemail like we do. He doesn't do that. God doesn't do with our prayers what we do with our email. He doesn't scroll through, delete, trash, archive. Mm, I don't know. I don't really know what to say to that one or, ooh, that looks good. I'm going to open that. He doesn't treat our prayers like his inbox. Every single prayer we pray has a purpose. Every single prayer that we pray has a purpose. Every single one. It's to help us glorify God in how he says yes or to glorify God in how he says no or to glorify God in how he says not now or to glorify God as our prayers deepen our dependence on him and demonstrate and prove to the world that we believe that he's the only one that can do anything and he can do anything, anything. Sometimes God says, watch this, and he does something that blows our minds. And sometimes he says, trust me, trust me when things don't turn out the way we want them to. Trust me, even when stuff hurts. Trust me, even when it's difficult, but none of our prayers go unnoticed. None of them just evaporate into the ether. God's doing something with every single one of them. Be thankful for the prayers that he answers and be encouraged that he hears you. And even in this moment, right now, no matter what you're praying, God is busy arranging every single prayer in your heart to be redemptive for you, for your good and his glory. Every single time, every single prayer. And how many people in the room do we have this morning who have lived long enough to be able to thank God for times where he answered our prayers with a big fat no. And you're so grateful that he said no. Our God is sovereign and our God is all powerful, all knowing and all good at the same time. You can be grateful even for the severe mercies that he shows us. In my 20s, in my 20s, I was a believer, but I turned my back on God as hard as I could. I spit in his face and I told him, I prayed to him to leave me alone, but he didn't. He didn't answer that prayer. 
He kept pursuing me with love, and his love brought me a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. And I still bear the scars from that season of my life today. And he brought pain into my life so that I would return to him. So I would turn back to him. And now I am so grateful that he said no to that first prayer and he pursued me, pursued me, and pursued me even past what I could stand. And he did it to bring me back. So point number one is pray. Be devoted to prayer. And point number two is pray. Pray and devote yourselves to prayer for the sake of the gospel. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul asks for prayer. Even Paul. I don't know if you're new to the church or new to Christianity, but Paul was kind of a big deal. Now, he was just a man like you and me or just a person like you and me, but he did amazing things. His calling was very unique. He was shipwrecked. He stood before men of power and wealth. He saw miracles. He preached with power and boldness to mobs that wanted to kill him. He was empowered with the Holy Spirit as an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul's ministry, the birth and the reality of Paul's ministry is the reason that you and I are sitting in these pews today. Okay? So Paul, in Paul's amazing ministry, I want to invite us to consider something. I want us to invite us to consider who was praying for Paul. Because he asked for it. He asked for prayer. Moms and dads and single people in the church and students and kids were praying for him. Praying for the gospel to go forth. Praying for the ministry of the gospel to move forward and spread throughout the earth. Praying for the ministry of the gospel to, to deepen in people's lives and transform, transform them to make them mature and complete in Christ. Like we saw in Colossians 1. You see, the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a whole body activity. It's a whole church activity. There's a famous quote from Charles Spurgeon where someone asks him about the secret to the kind of impact that he had as a preacher and the, the impact and influence that his ministry was having in the day, in the day that he was, he was living and ministering. And he, and he replied without missing a beat. And he said, simple, easy. Uh, uh, the answer is, my people pray for me. That's it. You see, there's no amount of training that can open somebody's eyes. There's no amount of gifting that can change someone's heart. There's no amount of teaching or coaching. There's no tips or tricks or techniques that can convict and awaken our hearts. And let me be clear. I mean both that the Spirit of God is the only person that can bring somebody from death to life. And the Spirit of God is the only person that can sanctify us and transform us and deepen the realities of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 3 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God alone brought the growth. God alone shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God into the dark heart of unbelievers. And in a place where there was only death, there's life. 
in a place that was only darkness, light shines forth. In a dull mind, things become sharp. In a clouded mind, things become clear. In a bland reading of the scriptures, flavors begin to be tasted. In a stony heart, rocks are removed. Only God can make a hard heart soft. Only God can make a cold heart warm. Only God can make a fearful heart courageous. Only God can make a bored heart set on fire with interest. Only God says, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. So pray. We pray for the gospel to go forth and we pray for the truth of the gospel to sink in deeper in our lives. We want to be new and we want to be renewed in the Holy Spirit. And even Paul said, pray for me. Even Paul said, pray for me, because we need God to show up or else we're hosed. I know in this church, be encouraged, we have people praying. People praying for me, people praying for our staff, praying for our ministries, and it blows my mind to think for a second about all the people that were praying in the background of the New Testament. With every letter that we read and every story that we read, there was a host of people on their knees. Let that encourage you this morning to pray. Pray for the ministry of the word to go forth here. Pray for our people. Pray for God that he would be pleased to let our lampstand burn brightly. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to you be the glory. And before I move on, I want to take a second and name two super practical applications to the text today. If you don't know how to pray or you just want to grow in prayer, let me give you permission. But first, I want to I address, we have people in this room that are on the prayer team and other people in this room that just love to pray for our church. I want to address all those people in the room this morning and just let them know that I'm going to try to throw those doors wide open right now. If you don't know, we have a team of people who pray every Sunday morning. They pray for the Spirit of God to move in this place. They pray for the machete of God's Word to slash through the jungles of our hearts. They pray for the preachers. They pray for the kids. They pray for the worship. They pray for volunteers. They pray for the neighborhood. And I'm giving everybody here permission to come see that, to come watch that. If you don't understand prayer, if you don't know how to pray, or if you don't know what I'm talking about, you could get here a little bit earlier on a Sunday before the 1030 service, come in at 9 a.m., go over to Luther Hall and witness, observe. You can just audit that prayer time if you want. They'd love to have you there. They're not embarrassed when people watch. They're, you don't have to be self-conscious. You can just come and see what praying is all about. And maybe if God's pleased in that moment, you might catch the bug and want to pray also. Second application is some men in our church pray every second Thursday of the month. Last week, last Thursday, we had 14 men and it was awesome. Awesome. If that doesn't sound like a lot of people, just remember that Jesus turned the world upside down with less. 
God's doing something in our church and I'm really stoked about it. You don't have to be an expert to come. Honestly, that group of men just drags themselves out of bed at 6.30 in the morning and comes and gathers and just prays our guts out for about an hour. And then we talk and drink coffee for about five to 10 minutes and then we're on with our day. Every second Thursday, and the next one is December 14th at 6.30 a.m., come and pray with men in our church who are desperate to see God move within our church, desperate to see God move within our lives, desperate to see God move in our families, desperate to see God move in our communities, desperate to see God move with power in the world, in the world. Come and pray that the gospel would continue to spread across the world. Come practice being devoted to prayer with us. Now that Paul has said, pray, be devoted to prayer with thanksgiving, be devoted to to prayer, um, be, be devoted to prayer with thanksgiving, and then also be devoted to prayer for me for an opportunity to preach the gospel. Now he turns and gives two exhortations as he, as he finishes this section of the text. And those are to walk in a certain way and to talk in a certain way. So my third point this morning is to walk in wisdom in general, but also specifically in this text, it says walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Colossians 1.28 says, him, speaking of Jesus Christ, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And remember from earlier in this book, the mystery of Christ that's been revealed is Jesus, right? The mystery Messiah from old is Jesus Christ. Christ was a mystery in the past, but he's not a mystery anymore, not to us. The mystery hidden for ages has been revealed to his saints, and it's Jesus. In the Old Testament, the faithful saints had true faith in the coming Messiah, but the mystery of God's Messiah, who he would be and what he would do and what he would look like, how he would save God's people wasn't clear to them, but they believed anyway by faith. And now Christ is revealed and Christ is proclaimed. Him we proclaim, teaching everybody with all wisdom. And Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus in the Lord, walk in him. Walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Walking in wisdom comes from walking in Christ. Walking in him is how you walk in wisdom. The exhortation to walk in wisdom with outsiders is a direct instruction, especially regarding people that are outside of the community of faith. And this exhortation means especially to walk in evangelistic wisdom, one author says. Paul has asked for prayer that God would open doors. And these are prayers for opportunities to declare the gospel. Paul isn't a shy guy. He's not muddled or unclear. He already knows his message and believes his message and is deeply convinced of his message. He's asking for prayer for an audience, for the spirit of God to move in that moment, to to get an audience and a hearing for the gospel, and that it would sink in and connect 
and change people. The wisdom that we're exhorted to walk in is not the wisdom of the false teachers from earlier in Colossians. It's not the worldly wisdom or the worldly philosophies mentioned earlier, the kind of asceticism or super spirituality that's mentioned earlier. That's not what he's talking about. It's the wisdom to make the best use of our time, using the time to look for an opportunity to declare the truth that Christ lived, Christ died on the cross for our sins, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised from the dead. This exhortation to make the best use of the time means literally buying the time. And that sounds odd, but essentially you can think about, think about this phrase of the best use of the time or, or buying the time. Think about it this way. It means the opposite of stalling. It means the opposite of making excuses. It means the opposite of letting opportunities go by. If you're wondering if you're not making the best use of the time, ask yourself, do I seize opportunities to talk about Jesus? To talk about the mystery that isn't a mystery anymore? The mystery revealed. Do I stall? Do I make excuses to avoid sharing the gospel? This text says to walk wisely. Don't let opportunities for the gospel slip through your fingers and do that with grace and salt. My fourth point is talk. Pray, pray, walk, talk. Talk with grace and salt. Chapter 3, 8 says to abandon a different way of talking. This talk about gracious speech can be seen in direct contrast to other places in, uh, in Colossians specifically that, uh, that references our speech. Chapter 3, 8 says to abandon wrath, abandon malice, abandon slander, ab- abandon obscene talk, and false speech. Christian speech is to, should, should confer grace to other people. And that means more than just being nice and more than just being superficial. It means speech that is sincere and loving. Gracious speech cares about the hearers and is courageous in the face of fear and in the face of peer pressure. Gracious speech has the good of the listener in mind and not only the, the, the comfort of the speaker. Gracious speech is willing to take risks for the sake of love. Gracious speech is interested in another person's ultimate good, not merely their temporary comfort. Gracious speech is thoughtful toward kingdom-oriented goals, not merely mindless. 2 Timothy 2 says, do the best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, and avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Gracious speech is true and clear and courageous. Gracious speech resists uselessness and vanity and gracious speech is seasoned with salt. Now, different, different commentators come up with different ideas about what this means. Salt, that metaphor in the ancient world, 
uh, or using that metaphor, different commentators focus on different parts, but salt in the ancient world was used in a number of different ways. For example, salt was used to kind of scorch the earth after somebody defeated one of their enemies. They would go along and salt all the soil so that it would be useless and they couldn't use it anymore. But that's not the meaning here. And it's not the meaning when Jesus uses the word in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Salt in the ancient world was also used as a preservative for food. And also in the ancient world, there's, all, there's Greco-Roman evidence of the metaphor being used to, to represent wit or winsomeness. And here, our words are to be seasoned a certain way. They're to be seasoned with salt. And salt's a seasoning unlike other seasonings. Salt's a seasoning that serves to enhance the flavor of the food that's already being tasted. What salt does is it brings out the flavors that are already there. It makes those flavors more pronounced and more enhanced and more tasty. Gracious and salty speech is speech that at least makes the flavor of the gospel more pronounced. Gracious and salty speech is speech that has relevance and zing and purpose to it. It's thoughtful and wise and applied to the moment and lovingly applied to the person. It's speech that has purpose and strategy. It's like the way that Jesus communicated. He'd, he'd strike a nerve on purpose with a certain group of people, and then he would be compassionate gently on purpose with a different group of people. And the kind of wisdom, uh, the kind of wisdom exhorted here is wisdom to know the difference. Wisdom to know the difference. What good is salt if it loses its saltiness? And the answer is that it's not good for anything. If you're, if you're a Christian this morning, man, I would encourage you to begin praying this way if you don't already pray this way. Pray for wisdom with people who don't know Jesus. Pray for speech that is full of grace and seasoned with salt. Pray for opportunities to witness to unbelievers and pray that the Holy Spirit would give you the words that you need at the moment. Pray that God will help you recognize. Pray that God will give you, uh, give you the eyes to see opportunities around you to share the gospel. Pray that God would help you be more watchful and more grateful. And if you're in this room this morning and you're not a Christian, hey, we are really glad that you're here. We are honored to have you. And I hope that this is a place where you experience the welcome, not just of us, but I hope this is the kind of place that you experience the welcome of Jesus. You see, the mystery of Christ that's been revealed starts here. You and I and this whole world are broken beyond fixing. We're sick beyond healing. And if we're honest, we know we can't make ourselves better. The Bible calls that brokenness sin, and sin separates everyone from the living God. It separates everyone from the God that made him and the God that sustains them. 
But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to heal us because we could never heal ourselves. He came to seek us out because honestly, we weren't looking for him. He came to save us when we didn't believe we needed saving. He came to pay the price for our sins because we could never pay that debt ourselves. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. And that's you and that's me. The truth of the mystery of Jesus is that while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The truth of the mystery of Jesus is that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The mystery of Jesus revealed is that God sent his son to die for you, not so that you could be a self-righteous or just a, just a pride-filled church-attending person, not so that we could all pat ourselves on the back and feel good about ourselves for going to church. Christ came, he lived and died and was buried and was raised so that you and I could be set free from everything, everything that we couldn't be set free from under the law of Moses. So, man, my burden for our church this morning is that we would be renewed in a zeal and a passion for the gospel of Jesus that affects our prayer life, that we would pray to see it go forth and spread everywhere and deepen in us who have already believed. My burden is that we'd be zealous to talk about it. We'd be zealous to proclaim it. My burden is that we'd be deepened in our gratitude. My burden is that we'd be emboldened emboldened to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. And my burden is that we would take courage to talk with speech that is full of salt and full of the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you be pleased right now by the power of your spirit to deepen a desire in our hearts, just the desire to see the gospel go. To see the gospel planted in more hearts. And deepen our desire to see the gospel, the truth of who you are and what you've done, change us. Deepen our desire to see ourselves transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, I ask right now, would you work something in our hearts that makes us more devoted to prayer than we used to be? Committed, constant. Would you help us, like, um, help us apprehend and enjoy and love being so dependent on you that we can't do anything for ourselves? Help us, like, not be frustrated by that reality, but see it as something we delight in and that's precious to us. Help us to value dependence on you and you alone. 
Make us courageous people that start on our knees. And especially with the culture that surrounds us, would we engage them on our knees? Make us a praying people. Make us a devoted people. Make us wise people. And make us a gracious people, I ask, by the power of your Holy Spirit, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen.